verse number 15. The Bible says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Together, verse 15. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. And we looked at these verses uh, in the spring, and we talked about in our series, The People I Love, how that God has called us to love the broken. I felt it important that we begin this be our starting point. Today, we're in our fourth and final series of the year, The Pattern of Love. Who is our pattern of love? The Lord Jesus Christ. And we talked about how He's commanded us to love the broken. Well, Jesus Himself loved the broken. The title of the message this morning is this, Christ loved his fellow man. Christ loved the broken. Let's pray. Lord, as we turn our attention now to the Gospels and we look at how you loved the broken, may we be challenged to do the same. There are people in the room today that are broken themselves. Many of us are broken, if not all of us, Lord, and we need your love as well. And so, Lord, while we allow you to heal our brokenness, may we also channel that love on other broken people and see them healed. Help us to be inspired by uh, the Word and your life today to go forth and do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can be seated. It is 11.35. I just want to take a minute and address this. It is 11.35, and I'm normally up here about 10 minutes earlier than I am now, so the service may go a little bit longer than normal, and for that I want to apologize up front. But you got an extra hour of sleep last night. So no sleeping, amen? All right, us pastors look for any edge we can get. All right. Um, The pattern of love was the fourth and final series we began last week. We are focusing on the life of Christ, and we are seeing the way He loved all of those people groups that He commanded us to love. The beautiful thing about the life of Christ is that He didn't just say, hey, go out and love these people. No, He lived a life. He gave a ministry of loving every single people group that Scripture commands us to love. Now, I want to take a moment out of the message this morning and clarify something that was said last week. There were some people that... Uh, took what I said, and either I miscommunicated or they misunderstood, or maybe a combination of both. But I was making the point last week about how Christ loved his neighbor. We went through Matthew chapter 9, and we saw how that he um, uh, helped a palsy man get healed, and then he, um, uh, just a number of different people he helped. He called Matthew the tax collector, uh, who was an outcast by society, to follow him. He ministered to publicans and sinners. He uh, helped a woman who had an issue of blood be made whole. He raised a little girl from the dead, and then he helped two blind men who couldn't see, gave them sight, and then a man who was possessed with a demon, he cast out that demon, and then he went city by city by city, helping others folks in towns who had ailments and problems and shortcomings and spiritual weaknesses. And I made the point in that message that while we cannot raise someone from the dead, we may be able to help someone on the edge of suicide avoid suicide. And while we cannot um, uh, uh, help someone who is drug-ridden, or rather we cannot uh, uh, cannot, uh, 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 help someone who's crippled and no longer be crippled, someone who's crippled by fear or drugs, we may be able to step in and help them. And uh, the way that was taken by a few people within the church has been conveyed back to me is that some folks, no matter how much you love them, you can't help them. 
And I want to say I agree with that statement. There are people in my life that I have loved, and they've still committed suicide. There are people in my life that I have loved, and they have stayed addicted to drugs. And loving someone isn't always the answer. They have to want to be helped. However, there are people that will commit suicide today because they're lonely and believe that nobody loves them. We can come along their side and we can help them. Amen? And so if you're here today and you have a loved one whose life is a wreck and you have loved on them, in no way was I trying to make you feel bad. In no way was I trying to make you feel guilty. I just want to make sure I clarified that from last week. All right. Our sermon this morning is on this different people group, the broken. Now, how, do, how does somebody get broken? Um, I believe this is the process. The world is filled with sin. All right? Sin is the breaking of God's moral law. The world is filled with sin. Sin brings offenses. Right? Your sin offends me. My sin offends you. Does it not? And you know what offenses can escalate into? Offenses can escalate into evil. What is evil? Evil is when I'm so offended by your action that I get vengeance in my heart and then I act on that vengeance. Sometimes evil is I'm just so broken by the offenses of people that I can't help but be evil to everyone around me. The world is filled with evil. Filled with evil. Many of you in here have been hurt by someone else's evil. Children are molested every day because of evil. Women are raped every day because of evil. People um, are murdered every day because of evil. Folks are belittled and berated and abused every day because of evil. We've all seen it. And unfortunately, sometimes that evil has come from us. The world is filled with broken people. Sometimes, though, a broken person isn't a result of evil. It's just a result of living in a sin-cursed, fallen world. I think of people who are constantly in and out of the hospital, like Tiandre. I think of someone who walks around with a rain cloud seemingly always over their head, and they're just depressed. I think of someone who's so mentally incapable of functioning, they're, adult, they're an adult, but they behave like a child. Is that because of evil? Not necessarily. Those are the results of living in a sin-cursed world, and they're broken. They're broken by default because they're born into a sin-cursed world. Everywhere we look, we find people who are obviously broken. Or, watch this, they do a good job of hiding their brokenness. Can we just all be honest with each other for a minute today? Every single person, under the sound of my voice, in some way is broken. All of us. Because I'm the pastor, I know about a lot of it. But I don't know about all of it. Sometimes we do a really good job of masquerading and hiding it. We get dressed up, we smile, we laugh. But behind the smile and laugh is a world of hurt and brokenness. 
we're all broken. We're all hurting. We all have that area that we're disappointed with. What has Christ commanded us to do with broken people? He's commanded us to love them. To love them. You know, the truth is, sometimes broken people are hard to love. We can grow impatient toward their behavior. We grow weary of their antics. We get frustrated with their constant complaining. Or we fail to understand how they could be falling into the same rut yet again. You think, good night! I see that person every week and I ask them how they're doing and I don't know. Life is hard. Uh, I, I've just uh, this is wrong and that's wrong and it's like, will you stop your complaining? I'm going to stop asking you how you're doing. You know the difference between that person and you is they're honest and you're not. Amen. Is it not? I ask you how you're doing and you think he really doesn't want to know. I'm not going to tell him. I'm doing great. Peachy king. Right? But inside, you're hurting. Some people just aren't as good at masking it. And you know what? We get frustrated with people. How come this guy just can't figure it out? How come she can't figure it out? And we give up on them. We push them to the side. Now, I want to be clear. In no way am I encouraging anyone who is left in an abusive situation to go back. What I am saying is that if you have broken people that are currently in your life, God has called you to show them the love of Jesus. Who is the pattern of how we are to love? The Lord Jesus Christ. I propose that if you love the broken, it will lead to occasional heartache. Sometimes you will get stepped on and taken advantage of. Trust me, I know. I have often said that if you're trying to help somebody out of a mud pit, you're probably going to get some mud on your face in the process. Sometimes people in their brokenness will hurt you. But when you love the broken, you get to see God do some miraculous things. You get to see the healing balm of God's love heal wounded and broken lives. There have been many times in my life where my own sin or someone else's sin has caused me uh, to be deeply wounded. And it's been in those times that a brother or sister in Christ has come along my side and shown me the love of God and helped me out of a dark spot. How many of you have been broken by sin, uh, maybe yours or someone else's, and someone has been benevolent and kind enough to love you back out of the dark spot. Would you hold up your hand if you've had someone come by your side and help you out of a bad time? Shouldn't we return the favor, my friend? It is my responsibility. It is your responsibility to love the broken around you. And Christ set the perfect example for us in His Word. Now we're going to look at three different stories out of the book of John. And we're going to see three different people groups out of the book of John that fit right in line with 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14. In fact, if you still have 1 Thessalonians 5, will you look back at verse number 14 there? 
It says there, it says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. That's the first people group that are broken. Comfort the feeble-minded. That's the second people group. And support the weak. In the book of John, we find someone who is unruly. We find someone who is feeble-minded. And we find someone who is weak. And Jesus Christ loved all three people. He loved the broken. Number one, notice Christ loved the disorderly. Christ loved the disorderly. Look at John chapter 8 with me. Uh, verse 14 says, and uh, it says, warn them that are unruly. Someone who is unruly is someone who struggles with letter A, sinful behavior. Sinful behavior. Someone who struggles with sinful behavior. Look at John chapter 8 and look at verse number 1. Jesus went into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. So Jesus is in the temple. Look here. And, and try to imagine this story with your mind's eye as we read, all right? Try to put yourself there in the crowd. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. So they interrupt Jesus' meeting and plop down a woman who they just caught in the act of adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Wow. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote his fing- and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So he's playing in the sand and he ignores them. Verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. What a story. Now, um, this is an interesting story from just a third party in the temple listening to Jesus teach. But let me change uh, your perspective, if I could. Put yourself in the place of this woman, all right? Is she living disorderly? Yes. Yes. This woman has a problem. This is a married woman who is sexually cheating on her husband. Now, the Pharisees break into the bedroom and catch her in the act of adultery. I have a question for the Pharisees. How did you know that was going on? Amen. You know, I don't know about anybody's love life. Nobody's. I don't have any clue. How in the world would they even know? This sounds like a setup job. Does it not? Now, the Bible doesn't say that, and I'm reading into it. I wonder if one of the Pharisees was one of them that was in bed with this woman. Notice they didn't bring the man, they just brought the woman. Now, put yourself in her shoes. Men kick. Religious leaders 
kick down the door of the hotel room you're in. They yank you out of the bed with nothing on. They allow you to wrap a robe around yourself. They grab you by the arm and they pull you through the streets in the temple and they put you down between the Creator of the world and an angry mob that has rocks in their hands that are bloodthirsty and want to kill you. Wow. That is awful. That is awful. No matter what this woman did, she did not deserve that. This woman's sin was awful. The way she was treated was awful, but let's, let's step back from the way she was treated and let's just talk about her sin. Exodus chapter 20 says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. This woman's marriage was so lost, she went as far as sleeping with another man that wasn't her husband. This woman's sin was awful. This woman's sin for the crowd there that day was obvious. This woman's sin by the Old Testament law carried with it the death penalty. You know, many people today, they display their brokenness through unruly behavior. Their mouth is vulgar. Their lifestyle is perverted. Their relationships are shallow at best. Because any relationship of any depth is broken by their own sinful, selfish behavior. They're broken people. The Bible says they are unruly. Now, listen. Listen carefully. Some people that are living an unruly lifestyle, they hit the bottom they take personal responsibility, and then and only then can they be helped. The Bible says, warn the unruly. What are we warning them of? We're warning them that their actions are leading to death, leading to disaster. I see a lot of people that are unruly, and you know what? They're not willing to point the finger at themselves. They shift blame. Maybe mentally they acknowledge their wrongdoing, but emotionally they show no regret. And you cannot help someone until they're willing to own it. They're willing to own their own actions. When someone does, they hit the bottom. And they're ready for help. Are you there to help them? Or are you there to stone them? Here this woman was sat down in front of Jesus and condemned by the religious elites, condemned by the Pharisees. They stood there with rocks in their hands and they said, Moses in the law said, this woman should be stoned. What do you say, Jesus? You know, they saw her brokenness and condemned her. Jesus saw her brokenness and extended grace. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Jesus had something for this broken woman that the Pharisees did not have. Jesus had grace. Take your Bibles to Romans chapter number 2. Hold your place in John 8. 
Oftentimes, when we see people in their unruly, broken state, we act like those Jews. We pick up our stones figuratively and we cast them at people with our judgmental spirit. Stone them! Now, just some background here before we read Romans number 2. All right? The book of Romans was written by Paul to the church of Rome. Stay with me here. All right? Pay attention on purpose. Written by Paul to the church of Rome. The church of Rome at the time was made up of Jews and Gentiles. And there was a division in the church. The Jews said, you have to keep the Sabbath and you have to eat kosher and, and, and you have to be circumcised. And the Gentiles said, no, we've been saved by grace. All that's old and we don't need that anymore. And so Paul is writing a book to the church of Rome to help heal the divide between the Jews and the Gentiles. So Paul opens the book with Romans chapter 1 addressing the sin of the day of the culture of the Gentiles. And what was that sin? It was the sin of homosexuality. And Paul lays out in Romans chapter 1 the slippery slope into homosexuality and a reprobate mind. And I can almost see the person standing up there and reading the scroll from Paul and the Jews on this side and the Gentiles on that side. And Paul gets through reading Romans chapter 1 and the Jews are standing up and they're waving their Bible and they're saying, Amen! Keep reading it! And the Gentiles are sitting there with their head down. And then Paul, in his writing, turns and he addresses those pharisaical Jews. Look at Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. Put your stones away, Jews, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth, according against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? You remember what Jesus told those Pharisees that had the rocks in their hand behind the woman caught in adultery? He wrote in the sand and ignored them, and they pressed him, and he stood up and very calmly he looked at them and he said, He that is without sin cast the first stone. You know what he's saying? Hey, quit judging her. You're guilty of sin yourself. Now watch this. We are commanded to warn the unruly, but we are not commanded to judge the unruly. Too often we gossip and whisper and complain about someone else's shortcomings. And I just want to say to you, go look in the mirror at yourself. There ain't all that much to write home about either, is there? I can't talk about your shortcomings because I'm too busy trying to fix my shortcomings. But I can tell you what I can do. I can be like Jesus and I can extend grace. Time to put the stones away. Letter A, the struggle. Sinful behavior. Letter B, notice the solution. Jesus is the light of the world. Go back to John chapter 8. Jesus says, he that is without sin cast the first stone. One by one, these Pharisees leave their rocks on the ground and they leave. Look at verse 10. When Jesus had lifted up himself, again, he's riding in the sand. Jesus lifted up himself and saw none but the woman 
He said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? Again, imagine this woman. She's sitting there with a robe on. She's just been yanked out of bed where she's cheating on her husband. She's standing in front of the creator of the world, the God-man. I imagine that as Jesus is speaking with her, she's weeping and she's crying and she's embarrassed. Wouldn't you be? Jesus looks at her very lovingly and says, Woman, where are your accusers? Verse 11, she said, No man, Lord. Look at the grace Jesus extends here. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Notice here that Jesus did not condone her sin. He did not tell her, Hey, your sin isn't a big deal. Notice also that Jesus did not condemn her sin unto an instant death. Instead, watch this now, instead, He forgave her sin. Aren't you glad that when you mess up and you come to the Lord with the right spirit, that He extends grace and He forgives you? Aren't you glad that God doesn't take His stone from heaven and throw it down and hit you in the head and say, you are an unruly person and you're going to die on the spot? He doesn't condone our sin, but He doesn't always instantly condemn it either. Notice that in verse 11, Jesus said to her, Go and sin no more. He said, look, I have told you, you, you've been brought to me in the act of sin, uh, you've done wrong, and I'm not going to punish you on the spot, but I do expect you to change. When God forgives our sin, He expects us to change our behavior. Look down at verse 12. How do we break away from the chains of sinful bondage that keep us from unrighteousness? How do we break away from living an unruly lifestyle? Look at verse 12. Then spake Jesus unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, shall not walk in darkness, shall not walk in darkness but shall have the light of life. Again, imagine this here. This woman, all the accusers leave. Jesus' disciples is over to the side. The, the, the Pharisees and scribes were behind the woman, and they put down their stones and leave. Jesus' disciples are standing here. He looks at the woman with a heart of compassion and says, Woman, where are thy, uh, where are thy accusers? Uh, doth not any man condemn thee? And she said, No man, sir. And he said, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. The woman is still standing there. He turns to his disciples and he says this with her listening. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, shall not be unruly, but shall have the light of life. How are you going to love the disorderly? You're going to teach them how to walk in the light of truth. John 8.12 gets quoted all the time. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Keep it in context. He just dealt with someone who was living a disorderly life. Now, some of you in here today, your life is broken because you are a sinful, hot mess. The best advice I can get you is quit walking in darkness and start walking in the light of the Bible. Follow Jesus. That's my warning to you today. Christ loved the disorderly. You have someone in your life who's just living a disorderly mess? Preach to them the light of the gospel. Preach to them Jesus. Show them the way. Matthew 5, uh, verse 16 uh, says this, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. 
Christ loved the disorderly. Number two, quickly notice, Christ loved the discouraged. Christ loved the discouraged. Turn over with me to John chapter number 11. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 14 where we began this morning says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. That's the disorderly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Comfort the feeble-minded. That word feeble-minded in 1 Thessalonians 5 means this. It means discouraged. It means discouraged. Comfort the discouraged. There are many reasons... There are many reasons for a person to be discouraged. On any given Sunday, there's a percentage of you that walk in the door and your heart is heavy with discouragement. Can I tell you that all of us from time to time get discouraged? I'm going to be honest with you right now. Pastor Lejeune this week has faced discouragement. I'm no different than any of you. Maybe I'm being a little too transparent here. I'm supposed to get up here every Sunday and just pump everybody up. And I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. Why do people get discouraged? You know, sometimes we're discouraged because of our own failure or someone else's failure in our lives. We have a spouse that lets us down, a child that lets us down, a spiritual leader that lets us down, a friend that lets us down. Failure. Sometimes we set the bar too high for ourselves and we can't achieve it. Sometimes it's not failure, sometimes it's fear. How do we move forward when we're paralyzed by fear? Where do I go next? What do I do next? Boy, we look around today and the world is crippled by fear. Sometimes it's not failure or fear. It's just being fragile. Fragility. Someone's just so fragile that everything discourages them. I think all of us can get to a place where we're so fragile that we're easily discouraged. You know what I've had to do this week? I had to get on my knees. And I've had to ask Jesus to encourage me. And I'm thankful that he has. And I would encourage you to do the same. What do you do when people in your life are discouraged? Letter A, notice the struggle. Spirit broken. Spirit broken. Sometimes you meet someone and their spirit is just broken. You know, for Mary and Martha in John chapter 11, their brother had died. They were very discouraged by that. Jesus had let them down. Look at John chapter 11, verse number 20. Jesus is entering into the city of Bethany. Look at verse 20. Then Martha, as soon as she had heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. 
But Mary sat still in the house. Look at verse 21. Then said Martha unto Jesus. Notice the failure she's pointing out on the part of Christ here. Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. She was discouraged because Jesus did not come when he was called. Look down at verse number 32 of John chapter 11. So Martha came out. Lazarus had two sisters, Martha and Mary. Look at verse 32. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in his spirit, in the spirit, and was troubled, and said, Where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Look at the tender compassion of our Savior. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. You know, we know these stories, but if we're not careful, they become stories in our head that no longer affect our hearts. You know, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus had served their Savior. Lazarus and Jesus were friends. Jesus spent the night in their house many times. No doubt Lazarus had even been present when Jesus had taken complete strangers and healed them. When Lazarus passed away, it was, and it was clear that Jesus had delayed his coming, Mary and Martha became very discouraged, very disappointed in Jesus. Jesus had let them down. Their expectations on Jesus were not met. And when Jesus arrived, He did not get on them for being upset with Him. No, He gave them grace and space. Grace and space to be upset. He gave them grace and space to be discouraged. He gave them grace and space to be discouraged. He wept while they wept. John 11, verse 38, emphasizes a second time that our Lord groaned. He groaned within Himself. Some of us this morning are discouraged. What you need is to have some Christ-like person love on you the way Christ loved on Mary and Martha. What words of comfort did Christ offer? What actions did He take? Let her be. We saw the struggle. Let her be. Notice the solution. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Look at John chapter 11. Look at verse number 21. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, uh, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto her, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection or in the rapture at the last day. Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall 
he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which shall come in, which should come into the world. You know what he was saying to her here? He was saying, I know you're discouraged. I know you're disappointed. I know you're disheartened. I know there's a struggle in your life because I let you down. I know that your dreams are crushed. I know that your heart hurts. But you need to believe that I am the one that can breathe life anew into your broken dreams. Jesus is the life. He is the resurrection. And whether it is a failure, or whether it is fear, or whether it is fragility that has you discouraged this morning, the encouragement is simple. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Don't be discouraged. Turn to the Savior. Look at John chapter 11, verse number 38. Jesus therefore groaned, again groaning in Himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, uh, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Picture this, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, then that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had, uh, when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! And he, Lazarus that was dead, came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto him, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. Oh, there's so many things I could pull out of this, but for sake of time, we'll move on. I just want to say this one thing. Most likely, Jesus is not going to resurrect your loved one from the dead, but it could be that he will breathe new life into your spirit. It could be that he will breathe new life into your desire to please Him and serve Him with your life. If you're discouraged this morning, turn to the Savior and let Him be the resurrection and the life. And if you know someone today that's discouraged, you come along their side and you show them that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Christ loved the disorderly. Christ loved the discouraged. Number three, lastly notice, Christ loved the delicate. Christ loved the delicate. Turn to John chapter 14. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, that's the disorderly. Comfort the feeble-minded, that's the discouraged. Support the weak, the weak, the weak, that's the, that's the delicate. Letter A, notice the struggle. Strength barren. Strength barren. Some people just don't have strength. They're fragile. They get sick a lot more than the average person. They get discouraged a lot more than most. They're simple-minded and maybe get confused easily. Maybe they are emotionally weak or spiritually weak. It is natural to rebuke these people because they just never seem to get it. They never seem to arrive. We grow frustrated over how delicate and weak they are. You know, Jesus had one disciple that was especially delicate. Jesus was preparing himself in John 14 
And he was preparing his disciples for his upcoming, pressing, very soon death. The time of his arrest and crucifixion were drawing near, and Jesus was doing his part to comfort their weak hearts. Thomas, above all else, was the most troubled, the most delicate of all the disciples. Look at John 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled, Jesus says. He sees their discouragement. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Now let me pause there for a moment and just say, Jesus has just spent three and a half years showing them that He is the way. Healing people. Telling the Pharisees, I am God's Son. I am the Christ. Uh, Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, with Thomas standing right there. And Jesus said, Flesh and bone hath not revealed unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Thomas knew from the mouth of Jesus that he was God. Well, look at Thomas. Verse 5. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? You know, uh, Jesus, he's a lot better than I am. He's a lot more patient than I am. Can I tell you if I was Jesus what I would have been tempted to do right there? I would have been tempted to look at Thomas and say, What kind of question is that? What do you mean who is the way? I just spent three and a half years eating with you, sleeping next to you, ministering with you. I've showed you and I've told you and i told you and i told you I am the way. Slap him upside the head. You are dumb! Well, that's not what Jesus did. Boy, Thomas' faith had not yet arrived. His spiritual strength was bare. And so Jesus looked at Thomas and with grace in his eyes and love in his heart. Verse 6, John 14, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You know, Thomas still didn't get it. He still had a hard time. Jesus would be crucified and Thomas would run into hiding along with the rest of the disciples. And then Jesus would rise from the dead after he was killed and and then Jesus would appear in the room where the disciples were, but Thomas was absent. Look at verse number 24 of John chapter 20. Turn to John chapter 20. Look at verse number 24 and we'll see here how Jesus... How he loved on the delicate Thomas. Look at verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, 
We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Man, his faith was really bare. His strength was bare to trust. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, Look here, reach hither thy fingers, Thomas, and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, Thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. You know, Jesus went out of His way to embrace Thomas, not embarrass Thomas. Thomas was weak. He was delicate. And the Lord again showed grace and loved on him. Let's finish the message where we began this morning. Turn back to 1 Thessalonians 5. I'm almost done. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. The Bible says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak. You all there? Can we read those next four words together? Five words, rather? Here we go. Be patient toward all men. Again, be patient toward all men. How do you love the broken? Be patient toward all men. Verse 15, See that none render evil for evil unto any man. Don't return brokenness for brokenness unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. Hey, Christian, the world is filled with broken people. There's a good possibility you may be one of them today. Can I ask you this? Are you loving the broken the way Christ has loved you? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. How many here today say, Pastor Lejeune, the truth is, I am one of those broken people. And I'm going through a really hard time in my life right now, Pastor Lejeune. And I need Jesus to love on me. Whether it's that you're disorderly, discouraged, or that you're delicate. Jesus wants to love on you the way he loved on the woman in adultery. Mary and Martha in their state of discouragement. Or Thomas in his weakness. How many of you say, Pastor, right now I just need the Lord to send someone my way. Love on me as I hurt. If that's you, would you just hold up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I am hurting right now. I'm hurting right now. I see your hands. And I want you to know that your pastor and pastor's wife stand available to love on you and help you during this time. How many here would say, Pastor, there is someone in my life that needs me to love on them the way Christ loved the broken. 
Pastor, I need to do my part to love the broken. If that's you, would you hold your hand up and say, Pastor, pray for me that I'll do a better job of loving the broken around me. I won't get frustrated or angry at them or cast stones at them. I'll show them the love of Christ. Lord, today help us to make decisions that please you. Help us today to love the broken the way you so powerfully did. In Jesus' name.